Then we'll stop right there. <clears throat> okay, we're uh, studying 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're supposed to begin this morning in verse 14. Uh, probably spend a little time in this chapter, in chapter 11, because uh, there's been so much contention over them over the years. But we'll cross that when we come to it. Uh, we discussed verses 1 through 13, the danger of overconfidence, uh, last week. Today, we're going to talk about the truth about idolatry. This is verses 14 through 22 in chapter 10. We'll go through it and read it and then come back. Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Apparently, this was going on at the church at Corinth. They were participating in pagan worship services. They knew that an idol was nothing. They knew that the sacrifices were nothing. It might be that they enjoyed the show that was put on, and they might have enjoyed the meal that they ate after. But some of the Corinthians thought that because there wasn't anything to this stuff, it was okay for them to go ahead and participate. So this is what Paul's got on his mind. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay, let's go back now and analyze it. It's, it's almost self-explanatory, so I won't spend too much time except on the introduction. Uh, in verses 10, chapter 10, 1 through 13, Paul made it clear that idolatry and morality and complaining against God are not questionable things they are outright sins Christians have no liberty in regard to such things they were they were touting their freedom in Christ that gave them the right to participate in pagan worship services because they knew better it was harmless therefore it was not harmful well Paul's arguing against that liberty doesn't extend to such things as participating in pagan worship service. Some Christians were still spiritually immature. He made that clear in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. They probably understood just enough to get themselves into trouble, but not, uh, not much about the spirit that dwelt within them. Knowing an idol was nothing, some were emboldened to worship idols, believing nothing can't be a sin. All this pagan worship is for naught. Therefore, what's the harm in me participating? That's the logic. 
but their flirtation with idolatry was very dangerous, therefore they must quickly flee from idolatry, run from it as fast and far as possible. In the next nine verses now, verses 14 through 22, Paul's going to explain why the sin of adultery is especially abominable to God. It's not a moral issue to eat something offered to an idol. It has nothing to do with morality, but engaging in any form of idol worship, that is a sin. You cannot participate in a worship that is not grounded in God's truth. I don't care what it is, whether it's a pagan worship or it's a so-called Christian worship. You cannot participate in such activities because that's an affront to God. Some Corinthians may have taken their liberty in questionable matters too far. Uh, they uh, overextended this idea of liberty in Christ or freedom in Christ. Uh, they, they thought uh, they were um, free to do anything that wasn't explicitly condemned by the apostle. Therefore, he begins, my beloved, uh, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Uh, he's speaking about the Corinthians being the wise men. Uh, Paul had instructed them for some time, and uh, he believed that they were intelligent enough to understand what he was talking about and that they were determined enough to do what God would have them to do. I'm, I'm speaking to wise men, I suppose. This was he, what he hoped for, at least. Judge for yourselves what I say, if it's right, wrong, unreasonable. The cup of blessing which we bless, that's the fruit of the vine, of course. Is it not the communion of the blood of the Christ and the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This Lord's Supper that we partake of every first day of the week, are we not uh, communing with the Lord Jesus himself? Does that not make us participants in a joint fellowship between us and heaven? For we, even though there's many of us, individual Christians, together we are one bread and one body. Right there. For we all partake of that one bread the same bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Indeed they were. Those who sacrificed animals and offered them up in fire, uh, those who carved them up and sold parts to store vendors or whatever, they were all participants. They were in communion with God during this act of worship. Well, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Am, am I saying that you have to be afraid of the idol or be afraid of the things offered to idols? I'm not talking about that not one bit. It had nothing to do with that. Just because it's nothing doesn't mean worshiping isn't a something. That's what it's becoming. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. You cannot partake, you cannot commune with the Lord Jesus on Sunday 
and commune with the demons on Monday. You can't do it. Just as participating and observing the Lord's Supper is communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, in a similar vein, participating in communion with the demons is being a participant with the demons. It's the act itself, engaging in that which is sinful, that they should have had no part of. They thought it was okay. After all, they were free in Christ. They knew better. They knew that stuff wasn't anything. They knew there were no demons that they were going to bow down and worship. It, was, it had nothing to do with any of that. So let's go eat, drink, and be merry. No, Paul said, you can't do that. You can't participate in such activities because in doing so, you're communing with the demons. Now, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Is that what we aim to do? That the Lord has a competitor? Is that what we aim to do? Give our allegiance to two? Are we stronger than God? And the answer, of course, is no. Obviously, the logic Paul implies, or, well, implies very strongly, is that you can't participate in worship that is not grounded in both spirit and truth. Christians are not to do that. But these folks abusing liberty, that's what liberals do across the, 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 the country today, abusing liberty, they pervert the law of Christ and make it of no consequence at all. There aren't thou shalt nots on every subject that we could possibly talk about. The Bible doesn't talk about thou shalt not use marijuana, but there are various passages of scriptures that teaches us about intoxicants and the dangers of intoxicants. That's an umbrella term that would include marijuana, even though marijuana isn't mentioned, it would include marijuana and other things, things we may do to get a buzz. The truth about idolatry, uh, we'll just analyze this one, it's relatively short. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. All things are lawful, lawful because we have freedom in Christ. It's, uh, it's permissible for me to eat meat that's been offered to an idol because I know that an idol is nothing. Therefore, if I go to the local store and buy meat and it's been offered to an idol, I'm not going to get the heebie-jeebies because of it. Everything's going to be all right. All things are lawful, but not all lawful things are helpful. You may have the right to do it, but it may not be helpful if you do it. You may have the right to do it, but it might be harmful if you do it. Not to yourself, perhaps, but to others. Could it be harmful to others? This is the point he's going to raise. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. All things do not build up. We are to edify one another, build up one another. That's an obligation we have. We're taught to the, the importance of our edifying each other time and time again. But in what way does my engaging in a right that may be a stumbling block to others, in what way does that edify that brother or sister? Well, it does not, obviously. Yes, it might be lawful, but is it necessary? 
it might be lawful, but will it do more harm than good? That's the point he's striving to get to. We're supposed to be mindful of one another more than we are ourselves. There's a lot of freedoms we enjoy, but we don't partake of because we know that it could be a stumbling block to other people. Therefore, though we have the freedom, we don't engage because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I want to edify. I don't want to tear down. I want to build up. Let no one seek his own pleasures, desires, will, but let each one the other's well-being. Putting uh, others in front of ourselves is what's important. Our Lord gave us the example. He left heaven and he came here. He put himself out so he could help us. And that's what we're expected to do as well. There are going to be times when we have to forego our rights because we're thinking about someone else and we don't want to do what's harmful to them. The Corinthians weren't thinking that way. It was lawful for me to do it and I'm going to do it. Well, that's not supposed to be our attitude. Just because it's lawful, that doesn't make it a good thing. You have to deal with that on so many different levels. We have to deal with it. Take Bible classes, for example. Divided Bible classes. We have children over in the other building who go to their own individual classes. If our children come out here and listen to me, they're going to get nothing out of it. They might pick up a little thing here, a little thing there, but for all practical purposes, they're not going to learn much. And it's much more beneficial, we believe, that they are in separated classes, their own peer group, and learning in that manner. Well, because brethren before us were determined to do that, it made a lot of brethren angry. They thought it was wrong. The church is supposed to, gather, supposed to come together as a single unit. They're called anti, anti-church of Christ is what they were labeled back then uh, because of this particular belief. Uh, used to, a lot of, well, several might remember, used to church buildings were simply a, a one-room building. It didn't have a bathroom, had an outhouse out in the yard. But there was just a, an auditorium. And when people came in to worship, um, they worshiped together in one unit, uh, adults and children alike. I remember at Free Will when uh, we started having uh, Bible classes, multiple classes. We had one little classroom, but there were kids from little to big all in the same room. And basically, you have the same situation as we would have in here. So uh, when we had uh, multiple Bible classes, we decided to uh, make room as much as we could uh, to spread out the age groups. Well. In doing that, the brethren who believe that you can only have one room, if it's a if worship, whether it's a, a Bible class, it's all got to be in the same room. You can't have a nursery. You can't run children into a nursery. Got to be in the same room. Uh, the brethren who believe that, uh, this fellowship 
the churches that participated in multiple Bible classes. So you got to make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to appease our brethren and have one room? Or are we going to do what we believe to be right? In the case of our children, in this situation, a decision has to be made. I'm sure that the thinking was to appease our brethren who insist on one room is too great of a cost. We can't make that kind of a expenditure on our children and on their education. So even though we know it's going to call them, cause them rather, to disfellowship us, we're going to continue on with classes irregardless. Paul said you're supposed to think of others and not just yourself. Someone would argue, why weren't you thinking about those people? I'm sure there was a lot of thought that went into those people. The decision simply was the cost was too high. And sometimes that's what you wind up with. Sometimes a person can't be appeased. Sometimes a person just a knothead. Some people just want to cause trouble. Some people are argumentative. And there's some people are honest and sincere. But you can't compromise truth. That's something we cannot do. <coughs> when you can give way to the weaker brother, you would and should. Sometimes you may not be able to. In my experience, a lot of the time, not probably half the time, it's possible uh, to appease a weaker brother. And Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to see this. You think there's no harm being done when you worship with the demons. Well, there's a lot of harm being done. What about your brothers and sisters that are offended by this? What about the converts that came out of pagan worship? And now they're watching the elders of the church worship with the pagans. Where does that leave them? How does that affect them? Will it cause them to think you're a bunch of hypocrites? And stumble and walk away? Well, sure it will. That's obviously what would happen. Paul said, if you had the mind of Christ, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You don't gain anything from participating with the demons other than a good meal, is it worth it? Is it worth a fallen brother, a sister? Is it worth it? Christ died for that person. Is it worth it? And a person who is right-minded, who possesses the spirit of Christ, of course, he'll say, no, it's not. And he will not worship with the demons any longer. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Don't ask any questions for conscience sake. Sometimes you can't ask questions. You just eat and don't say anything. Sometimes you eat stuff you can't believe you actually ate. Woo! I've done that more than once. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Uh, there's nothing unclean about meat. This mainly what he's talking about is the meats. There's nothing unclean about the meats 
God gave them for food. People I see on the TV all the time talking about, uh, you know, it's wrong to eat. Uh, they call it flesh, which it is flesh, but they put it on the par with human beings. It's wrong to uh, engage in eating flesh. Uh, God gave the animals for us to eat. That's our food source, one of our food sources at least. And there's nothing wrong with eating meats. If a person doesn't want to, that's fine. But don't condemn the person who enjoys it either. Why? Because everything belongs to the Lord, and he put it here for our well-being. <clears throat> but he mentions for conscience sake, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. It might look like he's talking about your own conscience. Don't ask where the meat come from so you won't violate your own conscience if they tell you it was offered to an idol. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about your personal conscience. He's talking about the conscience of other people, okay? He'll get into that in a little more detail in just a moment. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you want to go, eat whatever is set before you. Don't ask any questions. Again, he says, for conscience sake, uh, you go and you eat a meal uh, with a person and uh, maybe they've bought the meat that was offered to the idol and they set it on the table Paul said don't don't ask where the meat come from it doesn't matter if you eat the meat and you don't know where it come from it doesn't matter but if this guy sees you eat meat offered to an idol and you knew it was offered to an idol well he might call you a hypocrite because you're eating meats that should be condemned, which they're not, but in their mind it would be. But if anyone says to you, this meat was offered to idols, then do not eat it. Why? For the sake of the one who told you. Meat's still good, but the person who offered it to you needs to see you abstain from it because it was offered to an idol. Therefore, don't eat it under those circumstances. If you sit down and there's meat passed around the table, go ahead and eat it. But if the guy says, this meat was offered to an idol this morning and today we're going to feast on it, then when the plate comes by, just let her go by and don't eat it. And there's two reasons. First, for the sake of the one who told you. And again, it's for conscience sake. Again, this is the person uh, or persons who may be sitting around. Uh, don't wound their conscience. The person who's uh, having this meal or at least uh, supplying the food uh, could be a pagan. There may be several Christians at the table. Okay. He stands up and he says, this meat was offered to an idol. Abstain from it. Why? For the sake of the others who are watching. They're going to watch Paul. Paul's a principal. He's a chief uh, among the brethren. He's an apostle. And they're going to watch what he does. And if they see him eat meat offered to an idol knowingly, it's going to offend their senses. 
because these are new converts. These are people who are weak in the faith. They don't understand. They came out of pagan activities, and now they're watching an apostle himself eat meat offered to an idol. So on the one hand, you can freely eat meat because you can't possibly wound anybody's conscience. Nobody told you where the meat came from. On the other hand, if somebody declares where the meat came from, you can't eat the meat. It's the same meat, but you can't eat it. Why? Because of what it might do to those who are watching you. You don't want to be a stumbling block to them. That doesn't mean that the meat is anything different than meat. It's just how it affects the mind of the person who sees you do it. You have to be careful about these things, not always looking after what we want, but looking to what people are, are waiting to see out of us or from us. This is extra burdens that are placed on you. Uh, it's not the law, for example, that you can't eat the meat, but it is the law of love that compels you not to eat the meat, okay? You have the right to eat it. It's perfectly fine to eat, but you forfeit your right because of the person that's going to be wounded by what they see you do. Now, it's not just about meat. It's about anything, anything at all. Whenever we're going to cause a brother or sister to stumble, we have to uh, give it due consideration. And uh, that doesn't always happen. Sir? Okay, that's a, that's a good example of what we're talking about. There's a, such a thing as a non-alcoholic beer. Uh, suppose somebody seen me walking out of Kroger's with two six-packs in my hands, and half a dozen of you are sitting there watching me. What do you think? Of course you're gonna think I'm drinking beer. I'm walking out of the store with Well. It's non-alcoholic. Yeah, but you don't know that. You don't know that. It just looks like a bottle of beer to you. I would never purchase uh, non-alcoholic beer uh, for that very reason, because it could cause another to stumble. At least I wouldn't walk out of the store with it. If I had to have it, I'd have them deliver it to the house. <laughs> uh, you, 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 have to, you have to think. What's this going to do to other people? How's it going to affect people? Uh, you know, I have to live with this all the time. <laughs> Through the years, I mean, my actions have been questioned not every turn. You wouldn't believe that, what kind of a magnifying glass preachers live under. But uh, 
you always have to be careful because uh, you're, you can influence a person in a wrong way, even though you did nothing wrong. But it might uh, do damage to others. Now we're talking about things that are established, okay, like we don't drink alcohol as a beverage and things of that nature <coughs> because of the general population's thought towards such things. Conscience, uh, I say, it's not your own conscience that I'm talking about. This is what I mentioned a moment ago. It's not your conscience I'm talking about. It's the other person's conscience. You're going to wound their conscience. You're free. You can do as you please, and you know it. It's not going to affect your conscience if you eat meat offered to an idol because you know an idol is nothing. But what about all the other people who see it? Okay. I know that non-alcoholic beer is nothing. It's not harmful. It's non-alcoholic. You don't get a buzz from it. But what will other people who see me pack it out of the store think? That's what you got to think about, things like that. And while I may have the freedom to drink non-alcoholic beer, uh, I would opt not to just because of uh, how it could be taken wrong and uh, be, the, be the source of many woes for me and for the church at large. Not your own conscience. Why? Whoops, I better get the rest of that. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? It doesn't seem right, but that's the way it is. There are weak brethren. Let's face it. There are some brethren who don't have a great deal of knowledge or understanding. There are brethren who have been members of the church for 40 years, and they don't have a great understanding of the spirit of the Christ. And you can do things that are perfectly all right to do, but because of their lack of knowledge and not knowing certain things, it could be detrimental to their faith, and therefore sometimes you have to forego your liberty. If I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Why would they say bad things about me? if I eat meat offered to an idol. An idol is nothing. The meat is nothing. I thank God for the meat that he's provided for me. So why do they call me an evil dude? This is what Paul's saying. It's the way it is. It's not right, but that's the way it is. And we got to deal with what is, not what's supposed to be. We live in a world of isms, not supposums, and it's uh, sometimes it's painful. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, everything you do, you do to glorify God. Now, sparing brethren, that's glorifying God. When I forego my right to engage in something because I'm concerned for my weaker brother, by doing that, I'm glorifying God. God is glorified because I put his will above my own. He doesn't want me to be a stumbling block. I'll do my best not to be a stumbling block. And that's how God is glorified through us. Whether you eat or drink, keep those things in mind. <clears throat> do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jew or Greek, or to the church of God. You got, a, you got 
three different entities here you've got to give consideration to. And you've got to be mindful of the habits and the customs and the thinking of all three groups. And you have to be careful not to uh, be a stumbling block, not embarrass the church. That's the thing I worry about the most is that I would embarrass the church uh, more so than myself uh, because it would look bad on you all if I was doing wrong. Just as I also please all men in all things, I'm not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. I do what I do because I want to edify those who observe me, he's saying. I want those who observe me to believe that I am truly given over to the Christ. This is what Paul wanted. And that's what he strove to acquire. And that's what we should do as well. It's very important. Now, verse 1 of chapter 11, in my opinion, belongs in chapter 10. It should be verse 34 of chapter 10, therefore I'll include it there. Imitate me, he says, just as I also imitate Christ. That's a good conclusion to his discussion in chapter 10. And that brings us to chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse 2 because uh, I put chapter 1 in chapter, or verse 1 in chapter 10. <laughs> imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So 1 Corinthians, the respectful woman. This is the one I've been dreading since we started 1 Corinthians. Woo! Dealing with women. It's tough. Man, it's tough. <laughs> no, it's not. Respectful woman, verses 2 through 16. Disapproval of the manner in which women prayed and prophesied. That's what these verses are dealing with. Disapproval of how the women in the church behave. So it's something that women especially, I think, would be mindful of. Now, I praise you, brethren. He had confidence to some degree, at least. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. <clears throat> That's the two things he wants. I can't remember what these slides have got on them. Number one, that you remember me in all things you do. You remember what I have taught you. You remember me personally, and uh, I praise you for that. And number two, because you keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Traditions here has to do with the law, the law of Christ. Uh, you are respectful of the law. You may not understand it, but you respect it, okay? And that's very possible. It's very possible for a person who doesn't understand the law to have great respect for it because they believe it came from God. Because I know enough to become a Christian doesn't mean I know a great deal, okay? And it's not, I'm not being ugly. This is a, the way it goes. I, when I became a Christian, the only thing I knew was I needed to believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And that's basically what I knew. I didn't know much more. And I, I started at ground zero. That's the way it works. Somebody could call me a dummy if they want to. I was a dummy. 
One time I was asked to lead a song, uh, a little song little children sing all the time. Something about Jesus. Huh? Jesus loves me. Yeah. There were some children uh, having to sing a night. I sung a song. And some children asked me to sing Jesus Loves Me. And um, I don't know that song. You don't know Jesus Loves Me? Everybody knows Jesus Loves Me. No, not everybody, because I didn't know it. Uh, I was embarrassed. Of course I was embarrassed. But there are people who become Christians who don't have a great deal of knowledge. So why they have high regard for the law, because the law came from God, they may not know the law, probably don't know much of it, and they have a lot to learn and to understand. And we always have to keep that in mind. I've seen brethren sometimes be so hard. I remember one time a preacher, uh, a, a fellow asked him a question in a Bible class. This is over at Free Will. A fellow asked him a question in the Bible class, and I wouldn't have said that to anybody what he said. It was horrible the way he talked to that man. Almost making a fool out of him because he didn't know the answer to the question he asked. And you know something? I've had a bone in my leg about that preacher ever since. When I got to be known as a preacher somewhat, I went to him and talked to him about it. I talked to him about that event. And the only thing he said to me, well, that was a stupid question. There was no sorrow that he caused the man to stumble. I almost stumbled over it. But he had no remorse whatsoever that that even happened. Some brethren, they may be very well known. They may be very knowledgeable. But some are so arrogant, it's impossible possible to believe that a person who knows so much about the kingdom of God could be such an arrogant, mean-spirited person. But there are some. Always have been, I reckon. That's why nobody likes us. We'll stop here and God willing, we'll begin in verse 1 uh, next week. Will I be here next week? Seems like I'm not supposed to be here.